Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Isaiah, the 11th chapter, the first nine verses. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will, die, will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord. This morning's prayer of confession is entitled the prayer of confession and submission. And as a fallen sinner, myself, full of pride and self-sufficiency, this one really, really hits home. If you would, please read with me the prayer of confession and submission. Our Father, herein is the wonder of wonders. Your eternal, uncreated Son became flesh, the uncreated and the created. Deity and humanity were united in him. Herein is love. When we could not draw near to you, you drew near to us. You sent him below to raise us above. He was born like us that we might become like him. Herein is power and wisdom. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might become righteous before you. O oh God, let us, like the shepherds, hear the good tidings of great joy and belief. Rejoice, praise, and adore. Let us, like Simeon, embrace Jesus in our hearts with undying faith and allegiance. Forgive our sins. Lift our eyes to a reconciled Father. And give us a conscience that is at rest in your grace. Enlarge our minds and increase our love through Christ for time and eternity. Amen. Powerful, powerful passage with tremendous depth to it. Uh, we come to it again this morning uh, to look. We looked at the peace of the Messiah last week. This week we're going to look at the justice of the Messiah. Before we do that, let's pray. And ask the God who was there with Isaiah when he wrote this 
3,000 years ago. That same God is here this morning, faithful to his promise that wherever his people meet, he will be in their midst. He's here. The same God that was there with Isaiah, who spoke this passage to him. Let's ask him to speak this passage to us this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, once more this week, we bow before you in thanksgiving as we look back at last week and we realize that every breath we took, every morsel of food, every beat of our heart, all of it came from you. Our hearts did not beat. We had nothing to eat and we had no air to breathe apart from you. Our Father, we confess that we are happily a dependent people upon you. We will have none of the arrogance that says we are self-made men and women. Our Father, we are charity cases. And we confess our dependence on you. And we look back at this last week and we say, thank you. Thank you, Father. And as we look forward at the coming week, we know that the grace that sustained us last week will sustain us in this week. It is grace that has brought us safe thus far, and it's grace that will lead us home. Our Father, we come as priests. We pray in thanksgiving for the uh, procedure that was done on Jim Bennington this week, and how we pray that you would continue to use that to bring healing to him. We pray for Priscilla Turner, that you will bring healing to her body, strength to her body. We pray most of all that you will draw close to her, that she will know your presence, that she would rest in your hands, omnipotent hands, nail-scarred hands. We pray for Janet Sartell this morning. We ask that, Father, you would draw close to her that she would be continually aware of your, pre your presence. We pray that, Father, she would remember your good providence to her all of her days and that she would find great strength, strength of heart, strength of soul in these days. Our Father, now as we open your word, we remember that John Sartell is not able to speak so that it would make any real difference in our lives. He cannot change us from the inside out. You alone have the power to speak and change us from the inside out and continue that change that began in some of us years ago. So, Father, once more, we throw ourselves upon your grace in dependence upon you. And we pray that in these next few minutes, we would hear your voice bringing your word in power to our lives. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. The kingdom of righteous. Justice. 
So where is the promised justice this Messiah was to bring? Last week, we asked a similar question. If this is a kingdom of peace, this is a Messiah of peace. Where's the incredible peace that the prophet said Messiah would bring? In the passage before us that we just read this morning, we read it last week. The Messiah will bring, the Messiah would bring an extraordinary peace. Look at it in verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play on the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. Wow, what a description of a peaceful, in the peace of his kingdom. We saw last week, you know, when, when we look at passages like this, so often we look at it and we say, well, that didn't happen when the Messiah came. All of that is in the future when he returns. That's not true. That's not what Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches that this peace began when he comes. Have we seen its fullness? No. But we've seen something of it. For wherever the gospel goes in power, lives are changed. Prejudices are removed. Hatred is removed and supplanted with the love and peace of God. I have seen in my lifetime Arabs and Jews worship together underneath the cross. I have seen Black Panther members, former Black Panther members and former Klan members kneel and pray together, embracing each other under the cross. I've seen Elizabeth Elliot introduce the very Aka savage that murdered her husband, introduced him to a great throng of Christians as her brother in Christ. Those are the radical changes. that happen in our hostile world when it's invaded by the church of Jesus Christ, when it's invaded by his kingdom. Now, when we think about peace, we think about a cessation of hostilities. But biblical peace is closely tied to justice. One cannot have a biblical shalom, a biblical peace, without justice. And notice in this passage, 
that Isaiah fits the two together. Verses 3 through 5 are about his justice. Verses 6 through 10 are about his peace. He begins, this this passage has a great flow to it. You want to read it over and over and over again during this Advent season. It's very easy. In In the first two verses, he speaks about the truth, the fact of the Messiah. Then he goes to the Messiah's justice, and then he goes to the Messiah's peace. But in that, those first two verses, it's really, it's, it's beautiful. He gives some identity to this Messiah. The Messiah is coming. The King is coming. And he shall come from, quote, the stump of Jesse. That's an odd phrase, isn't it? Look at the first verse. There shall come forth a shoot, a branch, a limb, from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Why does, he, why does he use the illustration? Why didn't he say from the tree of Jesse? In chapter 10, Isaiah writes about what he has seen. The forest, he talks about the forest of Assyria and the forest of northern Israel have been laid low. What he's saying is Assyria has been destroyed. The once powerful Assyria has been destroyed. The once powerful northern kingdom of Israel has been destroyed. It's like a forest. It's been cut down. But as you look across the landscape of northern Israel, where the forest used to be, there's a stump. He's speaking figuratively. There's a stump. We've all seen it out in the forest. Tree cut down. Here's a stump. Well, there's a stump there in Israel. And he says, the stump is Jesse. Well, who was Jesse? Jesse was David's father. David was the greatest king Israel had ever known. He was renowned. And God had promised that the Messiah would come from the line of David. Jesse is David's father. That's what the stump is. Several years ago when I was at Independent, uh, uh, a lady on Sunday morning came to me laughing about the Sunday school lesson that she had just taught. She had a a group of, of children, and they were looking at this passage. And she asked her Sunday school class, She said, who was Jesse? Tell me who was Jesse. And one man, young man, shot back immediately. Jesse is the stump. Got it right. He's the stump. So Isaiah said there would be a king come from the line of David. He would, uh, this, this stump would give birth to a branch to a stem. And in verse 2 it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. 
Then before he spoke of the peace that he would bring, he spoke of the justice that this Messiah would bring. What does a king do? What does a government do? A government is to bring justice for the people, justice to the land, justice to the people. This justice was just as amazing as the peace. So where, where is this extraordinary justice? Do we just say, well, one day when Jesus returns? If we do, we'll be making a terrific mistake. Because that peace is supposed to be visible even now. I must say this. It's a valid question. Where is it? Where can we see it? You know, we're asking this question as we have witnessed the exposure of extreme corruption, not in some third world country, not in some communist country, not in some dictatorship, but we're considering this question this morning. As we have seen in the last few months, exposure of extreme corruption in our own federal government. A corruption that shouts to us of the injustice that's in our land. So let's try to answer the question, where is the promised justice? I want you to see first here a king who is intuitively just. A king who is intuitively just. Look at verse 3. Strange verse. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. That's strange, isn't it? This great judge, this great Messiah will not decide and make decisions based on what he sees or what he hears. He's not dependent on the testimony of others. He is just by his very nature. He is incapable of injustice. Now you may count yourself to be a just person, a person with integrity. However, none of us would say of ourselves, I am incapable of injustice. I would not stand before you and say, John's incapable of injustice. And I hope you would not say it to me. We can act unjustly even when we are not aware we're being unjust. In our, in our day, in our time, people walk into the courtroom, into the king's courtroom, 
into the judicial system of our country, and they say, you can't prove it. You've made an accusation. that you can't prove it. Well, you don't walk into God's courtroom and say you can't prove it. He doesn't need witnesses. C.S. Lewis wrote a message titled The World's Last Night. Actually, I think you can find it online. After this message, uh, go home, get online, look up C.S. Lewis, The World's Last Night. Now, there's a whole book entitled that, but the book only has one chapter there. It's a sermon, and that sermon should come up. Listen to what Lewis says, talking about judgment, talking about God's judgment. For it will be infallible judgment. If it is favorable, we shall have no fear. If unfavorable, no hope that it is wrong. We shall... Not only believe, we shall know, know beyond doubt, in every fiber of our appalled or delighted being, that as the judge has said, so we are, neither more nor less nor other. This king cannot speak in justice. He is just by his very nature. A king who is intuitively just. He doesn't need my testimony. He doesn't need yours. Secondly, we see a king who shall bring justice on all sin, on all transgression. Look at the fourth verse. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. In a just kingdom ruled by a just king, the wicked cannot go unpunished. That's the negative side of justice in any land, in any place. Here the, we read, the Messiah will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. He will judge by his word. His word, what he speaks, will be the standard. This is the standard spoken by the word of his mouth, by his lips. It's ironic, isn't it? The Messiah came, this king, with the breath of his lips, with the words that he spoke, he made the blind to see. He made the deaf to hear. He made the paralyzed to walk. He raised the dead by the words of his mouth. This same king will speak. Those same lips will speak. And the wicked will be condemned. Now who are the wicked? If the wicked are to be destroyed, the identity of the wicked is a huge issue. I was discussing this with a friend. And he said to me, John, certainly, certainly you do not believe in a God who will judge and condemn people to hell. 
I thought about it for a moment and said, well, let me ask you a question. I asked him, what about Hitler? You know him. I know him. We know his history. Should he not be judged for the concentration camps? I asked him, what about Stalin? This man was a historian. I said, what about Stalin and his reign of terror? What about Mao Zedong? Should he not be held responsible for killing 46 million people? He thought about it for a few minutes. He didn't want to admit it. But then he allowed that if God was there and he was just, there had to be a reckoning for that kind of evil. So I laughed and I said, well, now you believe he should condemn some. And he said, well, I, I have to allow for Hitler and Stalin and Mao. So I asked him, what about men and women who sexually molested children and even killed children? Well, he was becoming exasperated. He said, yes, okay. He can, you know, I can understand believing in a God that would bring that kind of justice. So what Messiah had my friend created? He had created a Messiah who struck the earth with the rod of my friend's mouth. He killed the wicked, this Messiah created, killed the wicked with the breath of my friend's lips. This Messiah only slew the wicked that my friend thought should be slain. Folks, that's not what this passage says. God is not postmodern. Right and wrong do not vary by generations or civilizations. This passage says that the earth will feel the Messiah's judgment as he brings that judgment by his own word, by his own lips. Look on your scripture sheet at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know? that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He is the one who sets the law. And that law does not change from culture to culture, generation to generation. 
But notice that our point is we see a king who will bring justice on all transgression and sin. You see, there's mercy in this. This Messiah who will strike the wicked with the rod of his mouth, he himself was slain by the same judgment. He himself was slain by the same word. What did Isaiah say about this coming king? In Isaiah 53, 5, look on your sheet. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace in with his stripes where he He was wounded for our transgressions. Our transgressions were laid upon him. And what happened? The righteous judgment of God fell on that Messiah. God did not look on this Messiah. When your sin fell upon him, God's judgment, God's judgment was so precise, so demanding, that when it fell on Jesus, he did not say, God did not say, that's my own son. And those aren't really his sins. I I can't punish him. God's almighty, infallible justice held Christ guilty. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was happening? The wrath of God, the judgment of God fell on him. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher of London, said it this way, How can any expect to escape when he faces God in his own sin, when this God punished his own son for the sins of others that he took on himself? You see, a king who is intuitively just, You see a king who will bring justice on all sin. And finally, in this passage, you see a king who will bring justice for the oppressed. Look at verse 4. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. You see his justice is not only the eradication of those who do evil. If you hadn't heard anything else, I hope you've heard those first two points. But this is one that we often don't see as justice. Justice is not only the the eradication of those who do evil. It is the establishment of justice for those who have been oppressed by injustice. You see, the prophets not only spoke about God's judgment on the sin of the people. They spoke about 
how God's justice would bring mercy to the oppressed. In Isaiah, we not only see God's judgment on the wicked, but we see God's justice on behalf of those who have been oppressed in every way by unjust men and women. In the prophets, pick out a prophet, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos. And you read those books about God's judgment on the northern and southern kingdoms. And you read of God's strong words against the self-indulgent materialism and the lack of compassion and judgment to the poor. Look, at, look with me on your scripture sheet very quickly and we're done. Just two or three passages from Isaiah. I just want you to get this down. Get this in your minds. Because it has to do with God's justice. Isaiah 3.13. The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge the peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of the people. But what will he say to them? It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor? Isaiah 10.1 Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression. Turn aside the needy from justice and rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may, that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the followers their prey. As Israel turned away from God to their self-made gods, they also turned away from his word concerning justice on behalf of the poor. For instance, in Amos' day, in Isaiah's day, the upper class of Israel, the upper class, the upper middle class, was enslaving the lower class. The way they did that was they raised the prices of necessity so that the poor could not pay them. The poor would borrow money because they needed these necessities. They didn't have bankruptcy laws. And so when their debt became too great and they couldn't declare bankruptcy and go on their way, you know what happened? If, if I loaned, if Jay loaned me money and I couldn't pay him, for the necessities, I, just to live, I needed the necessities. I borrowed money from Jay to do it. Then I had to become a slave to Jay. Israel was doing that all across the land to do, so that the wealthy, the upper middle class, could have cheap labor. God was saying, that is not just. Read Isaiah. Read Jeremiah. He condemned it over and over and over again. And so when Isaiah speaks of this Messiah, he says he'll not only judge the transgression, but he will come and bring a just mercy for the poor. 
for the hurting, for the oppressed. Now fast forward to this Messiah. This is the reason for those sobering words of Jesus in Matthew 25. Look at Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory. He's the Son of Man. He's the Messiah. And all the angels with Him. Then He will sit on His glorious throne. What is the glorious throne? That's a place of judgment. Before Him will be the gathering of all nations. And He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right but the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it into one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. What's he saying? My kingdom, my kingdom, wherever my church goes, wherever my people go, Wherever my kingdom goes, it will bring justice to the oppressed, to the hurting, to the poor. It is not through feeding the hungry and giving to the poor that we have a relationship with Jesus, that we're saved. No. However, if we have a relationship with Jesus, if Christ Presbyterian has a relationship with Jesus, we will be a part of this merciful, just kingdom bringing justice to the oppressed. One more thought and we're done. We always speak of receiving God's grace. That grace that takes our sin upon himself. Jesus received the justice due for our sins. What was he doing? He was rescuing us from spiritual union, from abject spiritual bankruptcy and poverty. One last verse, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul was saying we were in spiritual poverty. The spiritual poverty of lostness. Jesus left the glory of heaven. He left the glory of the Father. And came into a fallen world. Became obedient even to death on a cross. Became so poor 
so poverty stricken that he went to the cross. He took our sin upon himself. Why? So that we might become rich. Do you know why Paul wrote those words in 2 Corinthians? Do you know why? Because he was collecting an offering. An offering for hurting oppressed people, for starving people, for people that were victim of a famine. And he drew this awesome picture of a cross. And said, just as, just as he became poor to make you rich spiritually, you give also to receive the physical suffering around you. Now, we're in the midst of doing this for children that live in homes that are racked by poverty to bless them during this Christmas time. And we think about it as charity. And it is charity. But I bet you didn't think about it as justice. You see, wherever his kingdom goes, that's why you can't find a place where his kingdom is gone. You can't find a place where his church is gone, where there's not children's homes. For children that have been abused and abandoned and orphaned. You can't find a place where the church goes that there's not hospitals bringing relief and mercy. Folks, it's not just about charity. It's the king bringing his justice into a fallen world. And we see it even now. And we're a part of it. You're a part of it. Christ Presbyterian is a part of it. One day, we will live in a world with incredible peace and incredible justice. No more injustice. And even now, just as we've seen glimpses of the peace, we see glimpses and see of justice that the Messiah brings. Our hymn is an appropriate hymn, especially the last two verses. Joy to the world, the Lord is God.